Hello, and welcome back to Theology with an English Accent. My name is David, and we are now on episode 7. In the previous episode, we finished chapter 1, and we ended with Paul's dilemma, how he was torn between life and death, you know, continued ministry here on earth, or union with Christ in heaven. And the final verse that we looked at included Paul's enigmatic statement about suffering for Christ, which he said was a gift. And when we looked at it, I said that he regarded suffering for Christ as a gift, in part because when we suffer for Jesus, we get to proclaim the gospel, and we get to participate in Jesus' redemption. Now, in the early church, we have many examples of pagans being converted when they see the way that Christians die. And uh, Tertullian, the early Christian writer, he had a, a phrase that became very popular, which is the blood of martyrs is seed of Christians, or seed of the church, it's sometimes rendered. And I mention that because just, because, but just before recording this video, uh, I saw an article that said one of the men who was beheaded by ISIS wasn't actually originally a Christian. It was when he saw these other men willing to suffer and die for Christ. He said, their God is my God. Anyway, let's move on to chapter two. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So how does Paul begin this chapter? Well, it's first worth noting that the chapter divisions in the Bible aren't actually always very well done. They're not part of the original text, they were added later. So this is really just a continuation of what we were reading in the previous episode. Paul's just been talking to the Philippians about living a life worthy of the gospel and to stand united before their opponents. And so he now makes this plea. And he makes this plea based on the fact that they are in Christ, uh, that they share in his love, that they share the same spirit. He appeal, appeals to their compassion. And he also says, if you do this, you'll complete my joy. You'll make me happy. And he exhorts them again to unity. He's, he asks them to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So this theme of unity is going to be very important in Philippians. But Paul doesn't just exalt them to unity. He tells them how this can come about. He goes on and says, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, I think it's safe to say that this is a recipe for a happy church. If everyone is so busy trying to outdo one another when it comes to humility and blessing each other, then there's going to be very little room left for selfishness and confrontation. But Paul now goes on. He's exhorted them to humility. He's told them how to do it. And now he's going to give them an example. And it is the example of self-sacrifice par excellence. He gives the example of Jesus. Let's read what he says. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now the section we just read is known as the Carmen Christi, often known as the Hymn of Christ, and we call it this because scholars conclude that given the linguistic form of this section, Paul is most likely quoting a hymn of the early church. A modern day parallel might be, say if a pastor was preaching on the goodness of God, and then he just suddenly broke into saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He's quoting amazing grace because all of his hearers will know that song and it'll drive his point home. And Paul is doing the same thing here. He's quoting a hymn that they'll know to drive home the point that they are called to imitate Jesus. Now, the hymn, the Carmen Christi, it's got three sections. The first one refers to the incarnation. It speaks about Jesus being born in the likeness of men. It then talks about his humiliation, about the fact that he suffered and died on the cross. And then the final part is about his exaltation, about the fact that God raised him from the dead and that he is now seated in heaven. And the shape of this hymn really is drawn from um, the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we often hear about Isaiah's suffering servant, and that's what this is modeled on. It's about the Messiah who, though righteous, he submits himself to suffering and violence, and his life is poured out for others. And we're actually extremely fortunate to have this hymn obviously by the providence of God, but Philippians isn't really a theological treatise. But Paul is quoting us a hymn here that is just saturated with beautiful Christology, our theology concerning Jesus. And this is actually probably one of my favourite verses in the entire Bible. And in this short video, I am not going to do it justice. And Paul's purpose in quoting this is to say to the Philippians that if the all-powerful, if the all-powerful infinite God could humble himself to not only become human, but to suffer and die, you too can humble yourselves and seek the good of your neighbour. You know, when, when we're called to humility, when we're called to deny ourselves in some way, to, um, to step aside and allow someone else to have the, the limelight, there's something in us that just cries out, why should I? Well, the Carmen Christi gives us an answer. It says, you should do it because Jesus already did it for you. So let's look at it line by line. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, sometimes it, said, it speaks of the form of God. In other translations, we'll see the nature of God. The important point to grasp is the fact that um, we're talking about the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and um, his incarnation. And some translations um, phrase this differently, but I really like the way the RSV 
renders it here. It says, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now the Greek word for that is harpagnos, and it's actually not used anywhere else in scripture. But when it's used in secular Greek, it's usually used in the context of robbery. And there are a few different ways that we can understand this grasping equality with God. The first is to say that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something that had to be aggressively acquired because it belonged to him by nature and right. Another way of understanding that grasping is that Jesus didn't consider something it's something that he had to cling on to at all costs. Another way of interpreting it is that he didn't need to seize it because he already possessed it. And finally, another way of interpreting it is that Jesus didn't see this power as something that he needed to exploit for himself, for his personal gain. And as I said, I really like the way the RSV renders it here as a thing to be grasped. Because for me, it's a reversal of Eden. Whereas Adam and Eve grasped at the, at the fruit of the tree, they grasped for Godhood. Jesus didn't grasp. In fact, as we're about to see in the next verse, he actually relinquished some of his prerogatives. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So this is what we call Christ's kenosis, his, his emptying. Um, and the point here isn't saying that the Son stopped being God during the Incarnation. It's, it has the idea that he, he took upon himself the certain limitations of our human nature. He set aside his divine prerogatives that he deserved as God during this Incarnation. It's a very mysterious thing uh, and very difficult to describe. But St. Gregory of Nyssa spoke of it as compressing the Godhead to, be, to fit within our smallness. And as we spoke about in chapter one, the word servant here is doulos, which literally means slave, when it's the same term that Paul used to describe both himself and Timothy. So we actually see all the way back in chapter one, verse one, we actually begin our theme of imitation of Christ. Christ was a slave, so Paul and Timothy are slaves. Christ humbled himself, Paul and Timothy did. Christ offers himself as a sacrifice, Paul and Timothy did. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. All I really want to say here is we really always need to realise what an ignominious death and painful death the crucifixion was. The Romans reserved it for slaves and rebels. And the person being crucified would just slowly, slowly, they wouldn't die of blood loss, they would suffocate. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him which is the name above every name. So whenever we see a therefore, we have to ask the question, what's it there for? So what has just come before? And the point that the hymn has just made is that Jesus humbled himself. And therefore, God exalted him. And this is a pattern we see throughout scripture. Mary says the same thing in her Magnificat about how God lifts up the humble. Verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Now this is a reference to the prophet Isaiah yet again. And it's a passage in Isaiah where God speaks for himself, before me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. But in the Carmen Christi and with Paul, they're taking this, these words that are spoken of God and applying them to Jesus. 
verse 10. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now this is just a reference to everywhere. Angels and saints and humans and animals and the dead and the demons, everybody. Everybody will bow their knee before Jesus. And they're going to confess something, they're going to swear something. Verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that word Lord, it's a very loaded, loaded word. In the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, that was the word that was used for the name of God, Kyrios. And it was also the word that was used in emperor worship. You know, Romans would declare that Kaiser Kurios, Caesar is Lord. And it was for saying Christos Kurios, Christ is Lord. But many of the early Christian martyrs went to their death, proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus, such as St. Polycarp. So this section of Philippians makes the point that Caesar, Caesar might be Lord in some sense, that in the Roman Empire, every knee might bow to him. But there will come a day when everybody will acknowledge Jesus is Lord. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess in heaven or on earth and under the earth. So, to conclude, um, I would invite you to take on one or both of these challenges. The first one, since the main theme of this section was humility, I would invite you to pray the Litany of Humility. Uh, you can just search for it on the internet. I'll include a, a, a link in the description below this video. And you can also search for it on my, on my website. So, challenge one. Pray the litany of humility. Challenge two. Um, Paul spoke about um, how the Philippians should be in terms of not seeking their own interests, seeking the good of others, considering others better than yourself. And so I'd invite you over the next two days to seek out an opportunity to bless somebody. It could be something big. It could be something small. It might just mean smiling at somebody who you don't really like. Uh, it could be buying someone a coffee, taking someone out to lunch, or asking somebody about their boring hobby. You get the idea. But to do something that tries to take to heart those opening words of this section. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourself. And we will continue with Philippians in the next episode. So until next time, in the words of Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, God love you.